on uh, Murray did a great job last week of just summarizing uh, the chapters 1 to 7 that we had covered. And uh, just to keep the momentum, I wanted to go into chapter 8 of John. And uh, from last week, you'll remember in chapter... We, I think we want to make sure that we are always reading in context. And we don't just begin in chapter 8 just because somebody decided that would be chapter 8. And we completely forget uh, what came before. So we always want to keep the context. And so I think it's good for us to get back to the momentum so we don't forget. But in chapter 7, in verse 19, we see this uh, confrontation with the Pharisees and Christ. And in verse 19, he says, Didn't Moses, or Christ says to them, Didn't Moses give you the law? And yet none of you keeps the law. So none of them, this is Christ speaking, none of them keep the law. Why do you go about to kill me? In verse 26, uh, they're describing him and say he speaks boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Messiah? And then in verse 30, Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour is not yet come. So they want to take him. They want to get rid of him. And many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ comes, and Murray went over this, will he do more miracles than these which this man has done? I think what Murray said, like, what more could the Messiah do? That, that who, who else can come and do more than this? The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. And, and then we know that the officers uh, did not take him. But in verse 37, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. So he declares himself the living waters in verse 37. And this is part of the context for chapter 8. In verse 45, when the officers of the chief priests and Pharisees, then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why haven't you brought him? And the officers answered, Never man spoke like this man. Then answered the Pharisees, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed on him? So this is the context that we come into uh, chapter 8 with, that there's this very hot confrontation between the Pharisees, the chief priests, and Christ. People are beginning to believe in Christ, and the Pharisees and the chief priests want to get rid of him. And now we come into chapter 8. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple. So context is he's coming now into the temple. He's inside the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, Moikea. And when they had set her in the midst, they say to him, Master or Rabbi, this woman was taken in Moikea, in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Again, the, the context is this confrontation between the Pharisees and the chief priests and Christ. And Christ has already said to them, none of you keep the law. So this is all theater. None of them keep the law. None of them care about the law. Christ keeps the law. Christ is the Torah. And I think what we want to do, as uh, Deacon Jan did in the sermon, is view everything through the lens of the Torah. 
So Deacon Jan began in the Torah. Here's the promise between God and Abraham and the understanding that Abraham had. And here are the consequences of going outside of that. And then we read the rest of the Bible through that lens. So everything else that he brought out came to us through the lens of the Torah. We want to do the same thing. And you'll notice when Deacon Jan went into the New Testament, he didn't call it the New Testament. He said he called it the Apostolic Writings. The Hebrew Bible, the Apostolic Writings. We need to, to shake and basically uh, expunge this concept that there's an obsolete testament and there's a new testament. No, there's the Torah and everything else comes and springs from the Torah. So we view from the Torah forward or we go back to the Torah to understand. And I think that's probably going to be the emphasis here in our congregation as we're sort of listening to the messages that are coming out between Pastor Murray, myself, and Deacon Jan is this emphasis on the Torah, which I think is part of the exhortation that Christ says before he comes, it will be a time of Torahlessness and a time of betrayal, which means that brethren will abandon the Torah, much like Israel abandoned the Torah. So we have to fight for loyalty to the Torah. He says that, or they say to him, so, hey, what do you say? Now, let's go to the Torah. We're going to keep coming back to John 8, but let's go to the Torah, Leviticus 20, to see what does the Torah say and how should he judge. So Moses commanded in the the Torah that such a person should be stoned. But what do you say? Christ is the Torah. He's the living Torah. Leviticus 20 and verse 10 And the man that commits adultery with another man's wife, even he that commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. That's what the law said. The woman was caught in the very act. The law says both the adulterer and the adulteress should be put to death. Christ said to them, none of you keep the law. So if it was true... And that's a question as well. Was it true? But if it was true that she was caught in the very act, if they cared about the law, they would have brought the man as well. Because the law says both of them should be stoned to death for this. And this is, this speaks to, again, the, the message Deacon Jan brought. This speaks to the high standard of marriage. This institution of marriage, just how high it is. That if you violate faithfulness in this covenant, it's the death penalty. Deuteronomy 22. <clears throat> so, so you don't play with marriage. And again, there's something so profound about the institution of marriage that when it's protected and upheld, everything goes well. When it's violated, it destroys everything. So God does not play with marriage. Deuteronomy 22 and verse 21 Then they shall bring out the damsel to the door of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her with stones that she die, because she has wrought folly in Israel to play the whore in her father's house. So this is the virgin that commits uh, uh, adultery in the betrothal period. So she's betrothed, and she's committed adultery. So shall you, or we should say fornication, so shall you put evil away from among you, 
Then it goes on. If a man be found lying with a woman married to a husband, then they shall both of them die, both the man that lay with the woman and the woman. So shall you put away evil from Israel. Obviously, the Pharisees didn't care about putting away evil from Israel. If she was caught in the act, they're letting the man go. Well, clearly, God is saying, bring both. If a damsel that is a virgin be betrothed unto a husband, and a man find her in the city and lie with her, then you shall bring them both out into the gate of that city, and you shall stone them with stones that they die. The damsel, because she cried not, being in the city, and the man, because he humbled his neighbor's wife, again, they're betrothed, but it's his wife, so that you shall put away evil from among you. Let's go back to John 8. So very clearly, what the law says is both of them should be stoned to death. They bring one, and they want to know what does Christ say. And Christ said in John 7, none of you keeps the law. Now in verse 6, John explains why they brought this challenge to him. John 8 and verse 6, This they said, testing him, tempting him, that they might have something to accuse him with. That, that's all they were doing. So this woman, I don't know, did she commit adultery? These are liars. These are evil people. These are false accusers. They have an agenda. So maybe she did. I don't know. Her, their, their word is as good as garbage. But they do have an agenda. They want him to answer so that they can have something to accuse him with. If he says, let her go, he's violating the law of Moses. And all these people who are beginning to think this could be the Messiah completely discredits him. And, and, and it stops this momentum that he's gaining. If he says stoner to death, they can then go to the Roman authorities and say, this man thinks he's a king. He's violating Roman law. So one way or the other, they're going to get him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, we want to adhere to Torah. So those who think New Testament, obsolete Testament, will take this to mean, oh, if you're not perfect, you shouldn't look at anybody else's sin and just let everybody sin and it's all good because God is so loving and kind. This is, that's what you, that's the conclusion you come to when you divorce yourself from Torah. If we look at this through the lens of Torah, and Christ is the living Torah, he says to them, okay, whoever is without sin, be the first to cast a stone at her. What is he saying here? Let's go to Deuteronomy 19. Deuteronomy 19, breaking at verse 15. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin. In any sin that he sins, at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses, shall the matter be established. Verse 16. 
if a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is that which is wrong then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord before the priests and the judges which shall be in those days and the judges shall make diligent inquisition and behold if the witness be a false witness and has testified falsely against his brother then shall you do unto him as he had thought to have done unto his brother so shall you put away the evil from among you and those which remain shall hear and fear and shall henceforth commit no more any such evil among you back to john 8 so christ sets up the torah standard to say well we need witnesses so you caught her in the very act that's great well it's the witnesses now that have to throw the stones first they have to ex- lead the execution but if the witness is false then whatever this ex- whatever the judgment is the condemnation it comes back on the false witnesses so you better know what you're doing because we will we will look into this matter verse 8 and again he stooped down and wrote on the ground and they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one so something happened there where they realized what's at stake and they backed off beginning at the eldest even unto the last and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst and when Jesus lifted up himself and saw none but the woman he said unto her woman where are those your accusers has no man condemned you and let's go back to Deuteronomy 17 back to Torah Deuteronomy 17 and verse 6 at the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death but at the mouth of one witness he shall not be put to death the hands of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put him to death and afterward the hands of all the people so shall so you shall put the evil away from among you uh, back to john 8 so christ asks her where are your accusers knowing that the the witnesses have to lead the execution but if they're false witnesses that execution is going to come back on them so they just prefer to drop the matter so now they've dropped the matter there's no witness that's going to lead the execution so christ says woman where are your accusers has no man condemned you she said no man lord and jesus said unto her neither do i condemn you go and sin no more so rather than this sort of uh, loosey goosey long-haired hippie that's just so merciful and hey you were sinning but everything's fine uh, forget the old testament he is totally torah compliant the reason he doesn't condemn her to death is there are no witnesses it's the witnesses that have to lead the execution now the question and there's a funny question here as well is if she was caught in the act 
why wouldn't they go to her husband? And why isn't the husband here? Because that would now move to the next part of Torah. He says, uh, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And there's an interesting passage. I just came across this uh, this week. It's in Numbers 5. And I think it's uh, relevant here. So let's just look at this, Numbers 5. We have Christ as the high priest, the rabbi that they come to. He's in the temple. He's writing on the dust in the temple. And he's the living water. And here in Numbers 5, we're left with this woman now where did she commit adultery or not? There are no witnesses. There's some cloud of suspicion here. And look at this law or part of the Torah in Numbers 5. We'll break in at verse 11. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak, and and so whenever we read Torah as well, we need to be very clear. When is God speaking? And when is Moses making judgments? These things are not the same. When Moses is making a judgment, Moses is making a judgment. God will back him up. But that is nowhere near the same level as when God speaks. And when when Christ had a confrontation with the Pharisees in another place, and they say, uh, the Torah says, he took them back earlier in the Torah to where God actually spoke. So Torah, we have to understand how to read Torah. But here, this is God speaking. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, If any man's wife go aside and commit a trespass against him, and a man lie with her carnally, and it be hid from the eyes of her husband, and be kept close, and she be defiled, and there be no witness against her, neither she be taken with the manner. So she wasn't caught in the act. So now it seems like this is the situation. We have a woman that really wasn't caught in the act because all the witnesses left. But So now there's a suspicion. Did she or didn't she? And the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be defiled. Or if the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be not defiled. We just, we don't know what happened. Then shall the man bring his wife unto the priest. And he shall bring her offering for her, the tenth part of an ephah of barley meal. He shall pour no oil upon him, nor put frankincense thereon. For it is an offering of jealousy, an offering of memorial, bringing iniquity to remembrance. And the priest shall bring her near and set her before the Lord. And the priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel, so Christ is the living water, and of the dust that is in the floor of the tabernacle, they were in the temple, and of the dust that is in the floor of the tabernacle of the priest, of the, the priest shall take and put it into the water, and the priest shall set the woman before the Lord and uncover the woman's head and put the offering of memorial in her hands, which is the jealousy offering. And the priest shall have in his hand the bitter water that causes the curse. And the priest shall charge her by an oath and say unto the woman, If no man has lain with you, and if you have not gone aside to uncleanness with another instead of your husband, Be you free 
from this bitter water that causes the curse. But if you have gone aside to another instead of your husband, and if you be defiled, and some man has lain with you beside your husband, then the priest shall charge the woman with an oath of cursing, and the priest shall say unto the woman, The Lord make you a curse and an oath among your people, when the Lord does make your thigh to rot and your belly to swell. So some sort of sickness, it seems. And this water that causes the curse shall go into your bowels to make your belly to swell and your thigh to rot or your private parts to rot. And the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. And the priest shall write these curses in a book and he shall blot them out with the bitter water. And he shall cause the woman to drink the bitter water that causes the curse. And the water that causes the curse shall enter into her and become bitter. Then the priest shall take the jealousy offering out of the woman's hand and shall wave the offering before the Lord and offer it upon the altar. And the priest shall take a handful of the offering, even the memorial thereof, and burn it upon the altar, and afterwards shall cause the woman to drink the water. And when he has made her to drink the water, then it shall come to pass that if she be defiled, this is God speaking, this is not Moses' judgment, this is God telling Moses, And this is very interesting, verse 27, again, to speak to the institution of marriage. And when he has made her to drink the water, then it shall come to pass that if she be defiled and has done trespass against her husband, that the water that causes the curse shall enter into her and become bitter, and her belly shall swell, and her thigh shall rot, and the woman shall be a curse among her people. And if the woman be not defiled, but be clean, then she shall be free, and shall conceive seed. This is the law of jealousies, when a wife goes aside to another instead of her husband and is defiled, or when the spirit of jealousy comes upon him, and he be jealous over his wife, and shall set the woman before the Lord, and the priest shall execute upon her all this law. Then shall the man be guiltless from iniquity, and this woman shall bear her iniquity. What's fascinating about this is this is before God, and God is making the determination whether or not she has done this thing. What it doesn't say is the man can then divorce the woman. It's go and continue your marriage. And if she, in fact, gets pregnant, and God has blessed her with seed, then she wasn't guilty. But if she doesn't get pregnant then in fact she was guilty. But nowhere in here does it say divorce. You just It has to play out. How long before we have kids? God keeps the institution of marriage in place, despite the fact that adultery may have taken place. So there's something in here. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a part of Torah we go to very often, but we'll go back to um, John 8. There's something in here in terms of the suspicion that... Uh, Christ is the high priest. Maybe he's writing this oath of curse in the sand. He's the living water. It's in the temple. The dust is involved. Uh, So there seems to be some uh, indication that Numbers 5 is somehow involved. And in John 8 and verse 11, he ends by saying, She says, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn you. 
go and sin no more. So that sin could be the adultery, stop committing adultery. On the other hand, maybe the adultery was a false charge, but there's still sin involved in her life. And she's before the high priest, and he's letting her go to sin no more. But I think uh, all of this to say, as we continue in John, let's continue to go back to Torah and understand what the living Torah is doing in fulfillment of the written Torah. So with that, I'll turn it back to Pastor Murray.